Hey, as we uh, have a seat today, I want to I want to pause for a moment. I want to have a time of giving. And as we think about giving, I just want to remind us that as we step into giving, some of us might consider giving as this time where we're going to give give to God. Um, I want to take that and maybe shift it just a, just a hair. And um, just so what we believe here is that every everything that we've been given is actually God's. And God already owns it, so we're not giving him something. We're giving him back what he's entrusted to us. And this is just a faith move, a faith step. And so I want to encourage you, as you step into generosity and to giving, understand this, that everything that you have as a follower of Christ has actually been entrusted to you. It's in your care. And so the scriptures point us to this concept where we bring our money together and see the gospel advance through our community. And that's what, that's what we're, we're after. So I encourage you to step in and experience um, the blessing of giving, honestly. Um, as we step into the brand new year, 2020, I am so excited about 2020. Bring on 2020, anybody? Come on. And uh, as we step into 2020 as a church, uh, this great, I'm, I'm, I'm also excited about this next season. So last year, we started this thing where we did 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And if you've never done that, if you've never stepped into it, it can be a little bit intimidating, it can be a little bit crazy. But um, at the Next Step Center, if you're interested in joining us in that move, uh, Next Steps, would you stop by there and we'll send you some information for this week as to how you can prepare as we begin this 21 days of prayer and fasting as we start the brand new year. So join us in that because I believe it's life-changing. Last year, God showed me so much as we stepped in this together. So I just believe and know that he's going to speak to us as we start off 2020. I saw a uh, BuzzFeed article and I thought it was pretty funny. But the, because the title caught my attention, it said horror stories about overly entitled, spoiled, or just plain unlikable people at Christmas time. That'll catch my eye, you know, I just want to hear about it. And uh, there's a couple stories that uh, Leonis13 wrote in and said, we gave Christmas cards to my rich kid cousins who rolled their eyes and said they had drawers full of those. I suggested to my parents that next year we make a donation in their name instead. Unis mom, she wrote in and said, I was at a Christmas Eve party where the kids of the family that were hosting got mad that they couldn't open any presents yet. So they proceeded to throw their wrapped gifts into the fireplace. They got about five or six gifts into the fire before their dad stepped in. I remember my prayers, this was not at your house, right? My, maybe my clumsy foo 94 wrote in and said, uh, one year my cousin after he'd opened up all of his own gifts, started opening everyone else's gifts too. When I tried to stop him, he screamed bloody murder. My aunt said to me, said to let him, said to let him be because he was a baby and he didn't know any better. He was five. So, uh, yo, <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah. But when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness. My prayers, this was not your Christmas, but apparently this was somebody's Christmas. And I hope you had the most wonderful Christmas of 2019. And I just believe in 2020, as we step in, I believe God is going to do some incredible things. He's been doing incredible things in the life of our church and in many of our lives. And 2020, I believe, is no exception. Hey, as we step in today and we open up the word, would you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you today? And I don't know if you watch these children. Um, mom and dad, you out here? When your kid waves to you, what did you think? You're like, my heart. Right? I believe God gives us this beautiful picture of a child and a parent. 
And I believe that sometimes we can step out of that idea when we come to God and we're like, hey, Dad. That he's not like, that's my boy, that's my girl, you know. And it's the same exact picture what the scriptures point us to, that we enter boldly screaming, Abba, like Daddy, Dad. And Dad's like, that's, my, that's mine, you mine. And so as we step in today, understand this, that that's the, that's the king of heaven. That's the mighty warrior creator. It's also kind, gentle, loving dad who, when you wave, he's like, you, you're mine. And so I just believe that the Holy Spirit, the king of heaven, actually wants to encounter you, wants to meet you here. And so let's wave to him. Let's invite him to speak to us. Would you do it right where you are? Would you just invite God to speak to you in a way maybe that you need? Father, we just enter boldly into your presence and we just say thank you for loving us. God, I pray for the one in the room today who's forgotten that. Father, I pray that your grace and peace would flood their life even in this moment as they recognize that you are the dad they've been looking for. You are the real father, the true king, the only one capable of full love, perfect love is inside of you. It's you. You are love. And Father, I pray as a fresh reminder for all of us that as we look for love in maybe different places, you are love. And true fulfillment, true salvation or the eternal life, fullest life is found in you. And God, I pray that you would draw those back who have maybe stepped out of that today. And would you reveal a greater sense of your presence, a greater idea of your person, God. Would your love be revealed as we look into your word. And Lord, might it be illuminated. Might we see it in a different way. Might we see it for the truth that it is. And might it transform our life today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look into 2020, my word, uh, maybe for my life, I don't know about if it's my word for the year, but definitely my word uh, is so opposite from my natural person, which is consistency. I don't know any dreamers in the room, but like consistency is it's not maybe what people would describe my life as or maybe consistently like just out there and flighty sometimes. It's just like I'm a dreamer, you know. And, uh, but, but my word, I believe, is consistency. And, and we, as we step into 2020, I believe God has really showed me something pretty cool in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, what we're going to talk about, you can start turning there or typing there. In 1 Thessalonians, it's this, it's this church that has basically started a move of God or seen a move of God. We have no capacity to start them, but we can sure join them, right? And it's this idea of this move of God happening in this church. And what's going on in this church, Paul writes in this letter, he's writing to these people and he says, listen, I'm not even telling people about y'all anymore. I'm actually hearing from others about y'all and about what God is doing in y'all's lives. It's this momentum that started building a tidal wave that started sweeping everywhere is what the scripture says. And I want to look at three particular things that Paul points out as, I don't know about modes or means, but how this movement actually continues, happens, begins. I believe he points out three specific things in the lives of these Thessalon in the Thessalonian church. And I want to look at those three things together because I believe in 2020, that's what God wants to do with you. We came to this community right here. 
We believed, a, a several group of us, we believed that this was the community that God put us in because we did a demographic study in this city and found that in this place, in this neighborhood, has actually the highest density of people who have left the church or never been. Did you know Knoxville, 80% of Knoxville is not a part of a community of believers? 80%. 80%. You say, we got a church on every corner. We do have a church on every corner, actually. But 80% of people of Knoxville do not attend those places of worship. And so we believed that this neighborhood needed a gospel-centered presence that wasn't going to be simply preaching about the word. We were going to live the word. And as we live the word, Darkness cannot stand. And people start to notice. And all of a sudden light begins to move. And I want you to know, we've got to take the gospel outside the walls for light to be seen like a city on a hill lit up. And so I want to talk about three things that Paul talks about this church because they got lit up. And three things that I believe are going to keep us lit up in this community. So are you with me? You with me? Let's go. Come on now. First Thessalonians 1. I'm going to start in verse 2, and we're going to go down to verse 8. Here's what it says. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power. This dynamite happened, wrecked people. The Holy Spirit moved in and away and they couldn't be the same. Also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That means it took root and started transforming their lives. They couldn't stay seated. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. That means we lived it out among you so you could see the example. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That means we did nothing different than Jesus did. If you follow Jesus, you're going to do the same things he did. For you received the word in much affliction. That means times were tough. With joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. That means it's spreading all over the world. So that we don't need to say a thing. So here's the picture of what's going on. This group of people received the gospel. The Holy Spirit moved among them. It began to transform their life because they took what they heard and put it into action. Now, they didn't put into, into action when circumstances were easy. Key number one, and this is maybe a sidebar note, circumstances are not a good indicator of God's presence. The challenge of your circumstance does not, met, does not mean God is here or God is not here. Sometimes the challenge of your circumstance is actually evidence that God is there, really there. Because there's a battle that ensues to stop the move of God and it becomes really challenging. So here's the context. These people are on fire. But if you rewind a little bit into Acts 17, and you can study this on your time, but in Acts 17, Paul travels to this place called Thessalonica. 
this letter of Thessalonians was written to the church of Thessalonica. When Paul shows up in Acts 17 to Thessalonica, he shows up to a synagogue, which is much like a gathering in a Jewish context. And it says in this synagogue are Greeks. It's all kind of different people. And it says that Paul shows up consistently there. It says, as was his custom. So he is showing up there often and he's preaching the word. So he's taking the scriptures, what they're all studying. And he goes, hey, this doesn't point to you. It actually points to this guy named Jesus who accomplished this word. So you guys are reading this, trying to self-perfect everything. But how many of y'all are good enough to get to God? And so catches some people's attention. And he says, this guy named Jesus actually came down and fulfilled these scriptures, did them. He is the king of heaven, the Messiah, the one who came to take away your sin. He accomplished the law. And what begins to happen is it says that many actually were persuaded by Paul's words. Not only did some of the Jews were persuaded, but it says many of the Greek people were persuaded. And it makes a, a sidebar note, and many of the leading women of the town were persuaded to believe. What happens next is the people who were managing the synagogue and the teachers who had traditionally taught there, it says they got jealous. Here's how the enemy begins to fight back. Whisper, 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 whisper. If you find yourself whispering and you don't want others to, others to hear, Stop where you are. That is not the way of the king. He causes you to come out into light and what is said in darkness will be said in the light. So understand, we're the people of the light. We're not people of darkness. So we don't whisper. We don't need to. I got nothing to hide. Okay, so step out of the dark if you're a whispering person. Okay, and it's going to bring a lot of freedom to your life. You'll find that that's actually the prison that you didn't know was a prison for yourself. So the way of the king, step out into light. Anyways, these people are whisper, 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 gossip, gossip, gossip. And all of a sudden, gossip starts to spread throughout the town. It begins to cause another kind of uprising, another kind of reviving, another kind of movement that begins to combat the other one. And they begin to persecute these people. And here was their word in Acts 17, and one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures. These people who were jealous go to the rulers of that day in that space of Thessalonica, and they say, hey, the guys who are turning the world upside down are here now, and they're going to turn this place upside down too. One of my favorite verses of all time. These people who are turning the world upside down have come to your town. What are you going to do about it? They're saying that the real king is Jesus. And so with much affliction and much challenge, these people have been persuaded to actually, the gospel begins to take root and it begins to affect their life. This ain't word. I got to put it into play now. There ain't no fake about it. I'm in or I'm out. And there is no benefit to me actually being in, in my community. These people pressed in. Now we get to Thessalonians where Paul's writing going, I hear about y'all. In the midst of all of your circumstances, God is using you to transform the entire world because everyone is hearing about you. But Paul talks about three specific things all throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians about this movement that they've, that they've seen come about because of what they were doing. And here I want to I bring us into three things today that Paul names. The first thing that he names, he identifies these three things. Here's the first thing that I want to be a part of in 2020 
and I want to invite you into as well. It's verse 2 through 3. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Your work of faith. The Greek word for work is actually a noun. And what he's talking about, it's this idea that belief has actually taken root to the point of actually doing something about it. So you're not just talking. You're actually moving with this deep conviction. Did any of y'all see a commercial during Christmas time where you're like, I need that? Anything? I really, I had a couple things. I was like, I need that. And when you need that, what are you going to do? I believe I need it. It's going to meet a great need of mine. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go do something about it. And I'm going to use it because I believe I need it. And I'm going to find out that I probably didn't need it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it was great for a couple weeks. But what this, what this is talking about is they saw the need for the gospel. They put it into practice. They believed it. They needed it. They used it. And this is what he's talking about. I see your work of faith. I see how you're moving based upon the conviction of your heart and it's actually taking root and becoming part of your work. We think work, we think we're talking about a move of God and we think about how do you create a move of God? How do you see that happen in your space? Some of us might think, I gotta get this massive plan. I gotta, I gotta do this or this or that. He unpacks this a little bit in 1 Thessalonians 4 as he presses on. He talks about what work looks like. He goes, hey, make it your goal to live a quiet life. You're like, hold on, a movement? Quiet life? No, I need to be loud as possible. I need, I need. He said, hey, live a quiet life. I mean, there's no drama. Don't be dramatic. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. I mean, don't be a busybody. So what he's saying is, don't step into other people's affairs. We're not, we're not trying to create a moral movement where we fix people's type of living. However, it might be beneficial to their life, but that's an element of the gospel. That's what's produced from the good news, not for good news. And so he's saying, hey, mind your own business. Don't step into other people's affairs too quickly. Care about their soul. And he says, and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before, then people who are not Christians will respect the way that you live and you will not need to depend on others. So in other words, here's the deal. Here's what faith looks like. Faith lived out transforms the way that you work. When your hope isn't in this place, then you don't have to care about the sandcastle that everybody else is building. Come on now. Some of us have lived through a sandcastle that's going to be swept away with a tide coming. And we wonder why we feel hopeless. We wonder why we don't have any hope for tomorrow. But in reality, what had transformed their lives was this idea that our sandcastles are great. Build them. I'll help you build yours, actually, because I don't got to worry about mine. Come on now. The tide's coming. I'll help you build it. But guess what's coming? There's a kingdom that you can be a part of that's beyond this place. This is what they had bought into. So it begins to transform the way they worked. When you understand kingdom work, kingdom life, then I believe that you'll be a part of building other people's castle or whatever you won't care to do that because you got nothing to prove you ain't worried about yours and I promise God will take care of you in the midst of that watch your sandcastle will get built bigger than you could ever imagine as you continue to try to build somebody else's watch but Colossians 1 1 4 through 5 really explains and helps us understand the motive for this what would cause somebody to actually care about other people's building 
Colossians 1 says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which comes from, here it is, your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Here's where your hope is. It's beyond this place. Did you know he's invited you in? But that everything that you do is actually being built in heaven. It's rewarded in heaven. And you're a part of something so beyond this place. And what people, some people never notice what you're doing. They'll ne- you'll never get accolades. You'll never get praise. But I promise who is noticing today, the king of heaven actually talked about, as you give a drink of water to the least of these in my name, I, you have done it to me. I have seen what you've done. So I'm going to build you something far beyond what is built there. And if people don't recognize you there, I'm going to recognize you here one day. And the greatest among you is going to be least here. Some of them, some of the greatest among you are actually going to be least here. And some of what you believe is the least here are going to be the greatest here in my kingdom. This is the kind of king of heaven that we serve today. So don't get it twisted as we step in. The first thing is your work of faith. If you want to see a mighty move of God, we got to put our faith into action. Studies, actually, when we talk about faith, there's a neuroscientist, Tally Sherritt, argues and says hope is an essential to our survival. Listen to this study that she did. She says, studies show hopeful college kids get higher grades and are more likely to graduate. Like if, you got, if you're hopeful about your situation, you, it actually begins to manifest and transform your life. Second thing, she said, hopeful athletes actually perform better on the field. They cope better with injuries. I think of Tua, a guy who's walking through really challenging circumstances, injured, injured, injured. And yet in the midst of that has this great hope because guess what? Football's football, man. Like this ain't what I'm living for. And people in the world are like, what is he talking? I would give, I'd, I'd die to have that. But he knows that this is temporary. This ain't it. He got where people hope to get, and he knows the truth about where they hope. The mystery's been unveiled from his eyes. They have greater mental adjustment when situations change. In one study of the elderly, those who said that they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during the study follow-up than those who were more hopeful. Hope transforms our life. It's built into our DNA. God designed it this way. And so the good news fuels that space in our life that brings health into our lives. Hope. And the gospel is the true hope. It's the truth. The second thing that I notice as we unpack 1 Thessalonians 1, he's giving thanks, constantly mentioning you in the prayers, remembering before God, work of faith and labor of love. Labor of love. I was reading the Washington Post We talked about excuses for being late to work. And it says that largely across the scope that there is the same excuses all across the country. And maybe some of y'all got a couple of these excuses. The first excuse was 51% of people said the number one excuse, traffic. I'm late because traffic was bad, right? Anybody use that in the room? Uh, You know, there was a big wreck. (laughs) We didn't tell them that we woke up 10 minutes ago. But like there was for sure, it was was more crowded than usual. You know what I mean? The second thing, oversleeping, of course, oversleeping. I won't ask how many of y'all said that, but like we all been there, I understand. I'm a sleeper, I sleep good. The third thing across the board of excuses for why I'm late to work, number three is weather. And if you use this, that's just bad. Like, come on now. Except in Knoxville, if you live here, here's what happens. They gonna call for snow, like you watch the weather channel and and it's gonna slow down out here, you know? 
and there's legit going to be a traffic jam just because of what you saw on the news. So I understand in this place, maybe a little bit different, but weather was a third. And then uh, let's see, weather, yeah. But here, here's some creative responses that they said. More than those, some creative people out there. Um, bosses heard, I was here, but I fell asleep in the parking lot. Anybody, anybody you? Y'all, y'all was sleeping in the parking lot. I just showed up real quick. I was super early today, of course. <laughs> My fake eyelashes were stuck together. I guess that's a real thing. I don't know about that much. Uh, an astrologer warned me of a car accident on a major highway, so I took all of the back roads. Another, here's the, the last thing that they said. Um, I had morning sickness. Um, that was a male employee. That is our true story. So if y'all trying to use that, y'all are creative. And I don't know if it worked, but, uh, but there's nothing worse than an employee uh, that you can't trust, right? Employers, managers, nothing worse than an employee you can't trust. Nothing worse than an employee who's inconsistent. You don't know who's going to show up. Now, if you're not a boss, there's nothing worse than a boss who's inconsistent either, right? When you're walking in the door and you're like, who's going to show up today? They okay? You okay? And you kind of walk in a little bit. All right, they get, hey, we good. We good today. Yeah, we can, we can joke around with them. We can have fun, you know? Nothing worse than inconsistency in somebody's life. Nothing hurts trust like inconsistency. But nothing builds trust like consistency. So if you're looking to build trust, build rapport with people, be consistent. It's a real, real easy concept. But in today, like we people who don't want to commit because guess what we fear most? Consistency. You don't box me in. I'm a free bird, you know. Come on, us young people. That's what we are. I'm my own person. I need freedom. I need a lot of space to roam, you know. Understand. Like, come on now. We can be honest. Like that's some, some of us, it's our greatest fear to be consistent. I, I might be somewhat, somewhat that. So don't get it twisted. What I'm not saying is I'm not saying perfection, but I am saying consistent. When you start working out, the only way to get results is consistency. And in the place of the burn is where we actually start seeing life transformation. So if you really want to step in and begin to see our lives begin to transform, this is why we push life groups so hard. Life group, life group, life group. Because you've got to walk with others in order to see life transformed. He set it up this way. That's why he designed the church. And the church is not for us just to come and sit and soak from a guy who's going to talk from the scriptures and teach y'all. It's actually to get in someone's life and them to be in yours. And you get to that awful place of getting known. <gasps> the scary place, the terrifying place where they see you and you can't hide anymore. And guess what happens? You either at that point say, I can't do this. Or you press in and go, I got to admit this. And you're going to see me, my inconsistency. What I am saying about being consistent is reveal your inconsistency. Be quick to admit your inconsistency, yet quick to admit God's consistency. So the great consistent one, the scripture says, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He's perfectly consistent. And the way for me to step into healing and and into light with other people like we're called is to understand, hey guys, when you get close enough to me, you're going to be like, he's a pastor? How could that? Oh, he is, you don't know him. He is rude. And he is inconsistent. And I'm going to go, 
I really, I really want to be different. And the gospel is beginning to transform my life more and more. But you'll find in my life that I'm not a perfect human. And I'll say this every single week. But here is the freedom place. When you step into light, you get revealed. And when you get next to somebody who's walking closer to Jesus than you are, you get revealed. And you can either run and hide like Adam and Eve in the garden and put fig leaf cloth covers on and go, no, I'm good. I ain't naked. I'm pretty, you know. Or you can step, step in and go, hey, listen, like it is what it is. And, and I'm, I'm a flawed person and I need grace. And so the great place where this begins to bring freedom in our life is understanding 1 John 4.10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now guess what? I know that that's true for your life too. And now let's walk that out. Let's put it into practice. And that refining is injury to your natural person. Some of you don't like what I just said. It's offensive to the natural being. It's offensive to your flesh to say, no, I'm, I'm good. No, I got it together. Jay, I'm doing fine. Uh, listen, me and God are right. What I'm preaching today is Christ-centered, so it's going to offend you. Christ is the fulfillment of these things. He's the good darling of heaven. And so step into praise and into light and it's going to transform your life. Watch. Every religion is, is different than Christianity. See, every single religion points you to a way to get to God. It points you to be consistent in order for God to be consistent. The gospel is the exact opposite. It takes inconsistent people, takes a consistent God, and he steps in consistently to make right inconsistencies. This is the good news. This is Jesus. No other religion will you find that. None. You got to get there. And I say, good luck. <laughs> How? And if God is so good, you could never earn that. And if you could, he ain't that good. He ain't that holy. No, God in heaven is perfectly just, perfectly holy. So he had to make the way for you to be right. How could you earn it from him? The third thing today, the third thing, we give him thanks. Stepping through this passage again, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and the Father, your work of faith, your labor of love. And here it is, the third, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord. Who? In our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about. Your steadfastness of hope, your expectation for the king, your hope, though, is not in yourself. It's not in your circumstance because circumstances are challenging. Your hope is in Christ. The word steadfast is this idea of resolve or unwavering. Your unwavering hope. Psalm 1 actually talks about the idea of this giant tree that is unwavering. It talks about the blessed way in Psalms 1. Blessed are the, is the one who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, right? nor sit in the seat of mockers. Blessed man who doesn't walk in the way of sinners, stand in the way, how does it go? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. This is the blessed way. But blessed is the man who on the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted beside streams of water that its fruit yields in season. 
What's he talking about? There's this giant tree who's plugged into the law of the Lord. And when circumstances get really challenging, right? What happens in fall time? Leaves fall off, right? The fruit falls off the trees. There is nothing. It looks dead. Anybody walk through a season where you'd be like, I just look, they, they look dead, you know? But it says underneath the surface is this root system that's connected to life. And life is being pumped into this tree to prepare it for the season that's coming. And so Psalms 1 is talking about this idea of being unwavered. You've got to be connected to life. But then fast forward to Matthew 5, where Jesus preaches the most famous sermon of his life in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And he refers to this same kind of concept in Psalms 1. But he says, but he says this, he goes, bless, bless, bless. He goes, blessed is the one who mourns. What, what is Jesus trying to say to us? Because in Psalms, he's talking about your roots are planted in the, in the, in the law of God. And it's like life to me. How is the law life? Because Paul says the law is death. So what is it Psalms pointing us to? And then what is Jesus pointing us to when he says, blessed is the one who mourns? How does the two reconcile? You see, we have to understand there's great wisdom in the Psalms that says, hey, build your life on the law of God. Put it into practice. But when you begin to draw from the law of God and you begin to understand it, soak it up, it becomes a part of you, what do you begin to see? My inconsistency. My misses. My faults and my failures. So when Jesus says, blessed is the one who mourns, when I begin to look in the law and build my life in the law, I begin to see how broken I really am, don't you? And if you ain't seeing your brokenness as you read the law, you ain't reading it, I promise. You'll read it and you're going to go, I could never do that. I'm, I'm really missing it. But there's this wonderful challenge that what Psalms 1 points us to is, you know who the tree is? You know who actually accomplished that? Jesus he is the perfect tree of life who built his life on the law of God and did it perfectly. And when it looked like he was dead, no, he was not dead. Death could not hold him down. Life, because he was connected in a perfect kind of way. So when he says, blessed is the one who mourns, is blessed are us when we realize, guess what? I'm not that tree, but I'm going to eat from it. I'm not that tree, but Jesus is. You could come to Jesus and find full life, perfect life, everlasting life. My prayer today for, is for the one who's heard this a million times and you're trying to figure out how to fix the way you feel right now. No, you cannot. Come to Jesus and let him heal you. Let him bring wholeness to you. Let him bring his love to you because this is who he is. He is the tree of life. Many of you guys have been eaten from the tree of good and evil and you know what's good in your life, and you know what's bad, and you don't know what to do about it now. So what you gonna do? Hide. Don't let them see. If they see, they'll know. And what he encourages us to is that he accomplished it. He tore the veil. He became the tree of life. He opened up the door so that you could come back in and you could eat from the tree of life and have life today through the person of Jesus. This is the good news. We want that good news to spread through this community and be seen. 
And I want to encourage us today as we step in as a community of believers. In 2020, I want you to understand that what we're going to give our life to to see the movement of God happen is those three things today. Work of faith, our labor of love. We're going to be consistent there. And the third thing is we're going to be steadfast in our hope, our expectation for God, because he's going to show up. But you know what Paul never talks about to them? And here's what some of us may be discouraged in our life group today or influence today. You know what Paul never says? Hey, you know what I want y'all to know? You had 3,000 show up to your gatherings and next year you're going to have 5,000. You don't hear him say that. You don't. And if you're discouraged today because your life group isn't growing the way you want it to, I just want to encourage you. We're going to put these elements in practice of our life and watch how numbers begin to be transformed around you. But far too long have we had the wrong scoreboard. Numbers follow transformation, man. So if you want to be influential, if you want to see a movement happen around you, because I believe this actually is for you as much as it is for me, this movement is meant to happen in your business, in your family, everywhere you go. Put these into practice consistently. What we just talked about. And God will begin to move around you. And you won't be able to hold the numbers back. I promise. But we're not going to evaluate numbers because guess what? Here, here's what happened. There came a day in John chapter 6, I believe, where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, will you leave too? Because many that day decided not to follow. You know why? Because they didn't like how it was going. Challenging circumstances. What Jesus talked about was a little bit offensive, and I don't really like that. He's kind of a jerk. Read the book. Truly. And I want to, get, I want to be real with believers. Come on now, hey. My prayer is that you have revival all around you. You were meant to. But stop being discouraged by the number around you and start being encouraged when you understand that when we put the gospel into practice, numbers will be transformed around you. But when we're not focused on the gospel and seeing my life transformed first, no one around me will be transformed. And you'll find yourself discouraged and waning. You'll go, oh, I don't have a following I wanted. And you do it for all the wrong reasons. Because you know why we want a following? Because I want notoriety. It's about me. I want you to follow me. I want to brag on y'all. I got, I got about 500 people to 6,000 people. I don't know. No. Man, our lives are being transformed. And the community around us is coming alive. Nobody, everybody keeps talking about it. And I want to encourage you guys. Because y'all are doing this. I preach this message because I'm believing that this is what God is already doing among us. I'm talking to school administrators who've actually heard about what y'all do here. Would you come do that here? Hey, we want to talk to y'all about what you're doing. I, I want to know. I hear about y'all more than y'all hear about y'all. I hear about you guys. I don't tell anybody. I hear. So understand this. I preach this message because I believe that that's what's happening in this church already. Y'all get after it. And we're seeing God-sized movements. Watch. It will be a move that God uses for generations and beyond because it's actually got a foundation. It's not a personality. It's the person of Jesus. And he's alive and well here. And he's transforming lives. And my prayer is that in 2020, you begin to experience this reviving move as you step in consistently in these three ways. I'm gonna finish with this. It's a move of God happened in, in 1850s. A time when culture was devastated with poverty, suicide. There was a depression in that time. Rumors of war. Just terrible time. And a guy named Jeremiah Lampier was a New York citizen. 
was a businessman. He gave his life and he believed that he was going to see a move of God in his city, New York City. In the time where circumstances were the worst, how many of y'all got a job that's the worst? Circumstances the worst, culture is the worst. I believe you right in the perfect spot to see God move. Perfect spot. Because where's the darkest lies the lightest. But Jeremiah steps in and he has this great idea. He's going to invite all the businessmen to a lunch. They're just going to pray together. He puts up flyers. He makes calls. Does all this legwork up front. The day comes for his great move where he believes that God is going to move. And right at the time, noon, the door creaks open. And one person walks in the door, walks down the aisle. And he thought to himself, here we go. <laughs> one. 15 minutes late, there was a couple more that came in, but they had about three, their first gathering. Three people showed up for this mighty move of God that he was planning for. But he thought, I can't come off of this. It's what the word that God's placed in my heart, that he was going to revive my city. Let's keep going. And so the next week, he said 20 showed up. They just began to pray. And the next week, it just began to multiply and multiply and expand till what the, what, you can look this up. The move in 1850s is actually called the third great awakening of America because what began to happen and sweep, not just New York, but beyond, businesses started closing at noon for prayer time in New York City in the 1850s because the guy said, I just want to connect to God. I just want to call out to him. I want to live out my faith and I want to call others to do the same. He was consistent. And in that time period, it affected what it, what is believed to be a million conversions happen during that season through Jeremiah Lampier and that prayer gathering. A million conversions. There wasn't a preacher. There wasn't a band. They just began to seek the face of God and live out their faith. And a move of God happened. I believe in 2020, God wants to move in this city. Do you? What would it look like if we begin to walk out consistently this, what vision has God placed in your life for your city, for your space? Where has God placed you today? Are you focused on the sandcastle that's before you or the kingdom of heaven that's beyond you? You're in the middle of it, my friend. Join. And I'm going to invite you into the greatest freedom that you will ever experience as you commit your life and go, hey, I'm in. I ain't never lived it. I've never walked it. I've heard about it all my life. But today, I'm going for it. What is God placing in your life to go for it? Watch what he does when you step out in faith and put faith to work. And then labor in love as you stay consistent there. And the fuel for it, you'll have to stay steadfastly hopeful in the king. Because guess what? It's a battle and we're going to go for it. 2020, here's three things that I want us to pray for. We're going to pray together. Would you write these down? Would you memorize them? If you're struggling with your quiet time, I want you to write them on a note card. And when you get up to brush your teeth in the morning, you're going to put it on your mirror and you're going to, you're going to pray as you brush your teeth, you know? You just mumble it to God because he hears you, he knows you. And then watch how it begins to transform you. So the number one, here's what we're going to ask for in 2020. How do I need to trust you today? God, how do I need to trust you today? How do I need to put my faith in working form? How should I trust you today? Number two, who needs your love today? Today. This is a daily thing. This is daily bread. 
daily challenge, the daily experience, by the way. I want to encourage you, as you experience him, watch when you come in here on Sunday. You're going to be alive. You're going to be on fire. You're going to be like, I can't wait to worship the king who uses me. It's crazy. You want to tell everybody. And if you don't have fire today, uh, come alive. Actually, just begin stepping in and watch how fire begins to be fanned back into flame. Don't neglect the gift that you were given. Third thing, teach me more about the hope that I have in you today. Watch how God begins to speak to you this year as this becomes a consistent rhythm of our life. It's going to be consistent. Be consistent in this one thing. Put it on your forehead. Think about it at night. Tattoo it on your body. Maybe not that. That's a little bit extreme. Don't make a mistake. <laughs> Don't do that. But, but write it. Write it. Keep it before you always. And then watch how God begins to move. Right where you are, would you start this year off a little bit early by um, praying these to him? Invite him to speak to you this year and use these. And now we're going to expect the move. If you don't know Jesus and you have not eaten from the tree of life today, then come to him. Just tell him, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I actually want to step in and I want my life to count. I want to have a purpose. And I know I've searched every single other place for purpose and I've found it nowhere. If you're a skeptic, I invite you to ask him because he will answer you. If you feel no purpose, you don't know what I'm talking about. Would you just call out to Jesus today and say, this year, would you reveal yourself to me? And then my challenge for you is, would you step in a little bit and would you begin to come into the conversation week after week and just hear more? Hear more. Father, today, we believe that you're the way maker. We believe that you're the promise keeper. We believe that you're light in the darkness. And so this is the praise song that we sing to you. We love you, King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.